Hi friends, I'm Tierney. I'm Katie. And I'm Shelby. And we're Dead Dead Drunk. friends i'm tierney <laughs> we already said that part remember <laughs> all right so are we recording yeah hello friends welcome I'm back Katie. i'm tierney welcome to the shit show welcome back shelby's just looking at us to the show we yep. already introduced ourselves i know this is really boring I'm yeah so this sorry, is let's guys. just start over all right i didn't what are we drinking now? this week guys no, i want to tell them about the juice boxes so there's this thing that kindergartners drink. It's called juice boxes. But now um, for hey, adults, hey, they fill them with hey, four-year-olds hey, also hey, drink hey, juice boxes. Yeah, four-year-olds also drink juice boxes. So watch your fucking mouth. And then they pee their <laughs> pants. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> Tierney and I are drinking wine out of a box. I like to call it juice boxes. And they're amazing. Cheers. Cheers. But you know what else we're drinking besides the juice box wine? We're going to drink juice some shots. Wine. Woo-woo. Yeah, for this tell, case. Tell them what we're drinking, Katie. Okay. We're going to drink an LAPD shot. Lapped shot. So, what you going to do? Is you're going to grab one ounce of tequila. Woot woot. You're going to add half an ounce of blue carousel and one quarter ounce of a grenadine. You're going to pour that in a shaker. You're going to shake the shake. <laughs> you got yourself an LAPD. <laughs> so... 29-year-old Sherry Rasmussen was working as the director of nursing at Glendale Adventist Medical Center and enjoying life with her new husband, John Rutten. Sherry was such a hard worker that it was out of character for her to take a day off. But on February 24th in 1986, she called out to avoid having to give motivational talks to the nurses on her staff because she didn't find them effective. I feel that. Honestly, they're probably not. So that morning, John left for work as usual and Sherry settled in for a day at home. John called her several times over the course of the day, but received no answer. Naturally, this worried him, but not enough to leave work or even to rush home. After the end of the workday, John ran a few errands and then headed home to his wife. When he got there, he immediately noticed some broken glass in the driveway and thought it odd that the garage door was left open. Uh, He was even more concerned by the fact that her BMW, the BMW that he had bought her. It's always a BMW. What is up with this? Elliot Rogers had a BMW. I'm really glad that I sold mine. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't get his as a lovely engagement gift. No, because he was an incel. But, <laughs> but he got it from his mom. Oh, so sweet. Anyway, John thought this was odd because her plans for the day had been to stay at home and relax. In addition to this, Sherry's earlier plans... In ugh, In addition to Sherry's earlier plans, it was unlike the couple to not activate their answering machine before leaving the house unoccupied. This is back when answering machines were a thing. And I guess they had to be activated. I honestly don't know. As John began moving up the stairs into the apartment, he first noticed a bloody handprint next to the burglar alarm. And then he had to step over some stacked stereo equipment at the top of the stairs. When he finally made it into his living room, John found his new wife, Sherry Rasmussen, dead on the floor. There were clear signs of a struggle, including a broken vase and a large dining room cupboard that had been knocked over. Sherry had apparently been hit over the head with the vase before the intruder shot her three times, one of which was at point-blank range. Investigators also discovered a quilt at the scene that had gunshot residue on it and had apparently been wrapped around the weapon to muffle the sound. They were in a, like a condo complex, so. Oh, wow. That's so... 
Oh, wow. That's, That's calculated. So the investigators also discovered a bite mark on Sherry's arm, which they swabbed for DNA. Okay, so case right, closed, LA, right? LAPD did some good shit Well, there. this is 1986, but I know what you're thinking, Tierney, but the lead detective on the case, Lyle Mayer, quickly ruled out John Rutten, the husband. No, so the husband didn't do it? What the fuck is up with these husbands not murdering their wives? Ooh, <laughs> they're throwing <laughs> you for a loop. Anyway, Rutten was grieving just as you would expect a husband to having just lost his wife of only three months. They were together I for longer, I still think though. it was him. Okay. <laughs> so what did he do to grieve? You know, just like, he's just he cried. He listened to like a lot of Celine Dion in his car <laughs> by himself. He ate is that how you grieve? chocolates, maybe. <laughs> That's a breakup. Murder is probably like... Okay, but his wife died, so it's like the same thing. As a breakup. No, like, like they're not together anymore because she's dead. Oh. <laughs> okay, can we continue? <laughs> John and Sherry met at a party just after they both graduated from college. John, who was originally from San Diego, attended the University of California at Los Angeles, UCLA, where he played basketball on the school's team and studied mechanical engineering. Sherry was a brilliant young woman with a lot of ambition. She actually entered college at the age of 16, Oof. which is how she managed to land a job as the director of nursing before the age of 30. Because, wow. Yeah, she worked. Friends say that when they met at that party, it was love at first sight. And Aww. it wasn't long before the two were engaged and subsequently married in November of 1985. Rutten always claimed that Sherry was the love of his life and never expected to ever take him from him so soon. Shortly after the murder, Rutten quit his job and moved away from Los Angeles, which, yes, I would say is suspicious, but... I would do the same thing. Right, because why would you want to continue living in the apartment or even the city where you lost the love of your life? So once the husband was ruled out, the LAPD concluded that Sherry had been surprised and killed by a burglar. Since Sherry was wearing a bathrobe, nightgown, and underwear, the police surmised that she was not expecting any visitors, and with the stacked stereo equipment found at the top of the entrance to the garage, it appeared that the perpetrator had been in the process of robbing the place. That's when the police believe Sherry happened upon them, which would explain why jewelry and electronics had been left behind and the mm -hmm. vehicle was taken so the burglars could make a quick getaway. The BMW was discovered abandoned a week later, but gave the police no new leads. Despite their idea of a robbery gone wrong, which... I also yeah. agree, kind of sounds like it fits. The only thing that was taken besides Sherry's car was the couple's marriage license. Regardless, the police focused all their energy on the theory of a burglary. This theory wasn't that far-fetched since not that long after the murder, a robbery was reported in the same area in which one of the men had been carrying a gun. The victim, who managed to escape after interrupting the robbery, couldn't be sure about the type of gun, but police couldn't eliminate the possibility of it being a 38 caliber, like the one that killed Sherry. Mayer's partner, Steve Hooks, was still hung up on the bite mark, though. Hooks found the bite unusual, since biting is a more common fight tactic among women, while the majority of burglars are men. Of course, this is all relative, because men can bite during fights, too. So, the burglary theory stood. The suspected burglars remained at large despite the efforts of law enforcement and the surrounding community. A follow-up newspaper story ran eight months later, but the Rasmussens were getting understandably upset. The LAPD was preoccupied with the violence from gang wars and the crack epidemic that plagued the city at the time, and so Sherry's family decided to put up a reward to keep public interest in her case and hopefully find some closure. That's it didn't smart. yield any results, though. 
So a year after the murder, Sherry's father, Nels Rasmussen, who will feature prominently from here on out, wrote to Daryl Gates, who was the then chief of the LAPD. In his letter, Nels urges him to continue investigating his daughter's murder as something else and not a burglary gone wrong. He then goes on to suggest a possible suspect that they should look into, but unfortunately, the LAPD ignored his pleas and told him that he, quote, watched too much television. Okay, that's the LAPD, I know. Yeah, they're back. Nels was completely unconvinced that his daughter, who had been six feet tall with a large frame and in good physical shape, would have been the victim of a bungled robbery. It would have been a struggle for anyone to take her down in close combat, and Mayer, the first lead detective on Sherry's case, had told Nels that the events may have lasted an hour and a half. So she might have been fighting for an hour and a half. And that's a pretty long time for burglars. Yeah, that's a pretty long time for burglars who were just there for any valuables to stay in the house. That's just a long time to fight, honestly. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, there's the fact that Sherry had been shot directly in the chest at close range with a quilt wrapped around the gun to muffle the sound, which suggests that whoever entered the home that day always intended to kill Sherry. Yeah. It also, I feel like for me, feels like it's possible that it was somebody that knew Sherry because oh, they 115%. knew. 115%. Well, just because if they took yeah. a quilt, they probably knew where she kept them or yeah. was familiar that she had them. If that was their intention, that they knew that she had the quilts already. I agree with you. And it, and especially like with all of that, the fighting at close range, whatever, and mm-hmm. for that long with the bite mark, it just is so weird. All of these things also, are just. Well, number one, I feel like a bite mark is a pretty personal injury. Yeah. But also. I wouldn't think to wrap a quilt around a gun. I wouldn't think that that would work. So I would like look for a potato. Somebody did some research or something. You oh. would look, but what would you do with the potato? Do you like know what to do with it? Yeah. Okay. Don't tell everybody. Okay, never like, mind. Our caboose today will be Katie <laughs> telling you how to make a homemade silencer with a potato. <laughs> Those were all very valid points, but with no new real evidence to go on, the case went cold. Hi, friends. We wanted to tell you about a new podcast we've been listening to called Cults and Crime. Here are Nicole and Jamie to tell you more themselves. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie. And I'm Nicole. We're from Cults and Crime Podcast, a true crime podcast covering cults, crime, and everything in between. And we really do mean everything in between. We've covered such cases as The Zodiac Killer, Mary Edna Bracco, and Rajneesh Param, and so many more. So if you guys love crime, or cults, please tune in on Monday to Cults and Crime Podcast for your weekly fix. So Mayers eventually retired, and the new detective on the case told Sherry's father that he was unable to follow up on the case and didn't think that any new leads would come up. You know, why even bother? So in 1993, now seven years after the murder, Nels called the LAPD again to offer to pay for the DNA testing himself now that the technology was available. Despite this offer, he was turned away again, and the police told him that they first needed a suspect. Later in the 90s, when DNA testing had become more prominent, the LAPD formed a new task force to look through forensic evidence collected in the department's cold case files to determine whether or not they had any potential to turn up new leads in the investigation. Among the evidence determined likely to help the investigation was the DNA collected from the Rasmussen murder scene, mainly the swab from the bite mark on Sherry's arm. 
Unfortunately, that key piece of evidence was missing from the case files. So they got a search party together, and after an extensive search of the precinct, the swab was located in the back of the freezer at the coroner's office. Oh, my God. Which is a really weird place for it to be. Yeah, all right. In 2004, when criminalist, great name, Jennifer Butterworth... (laughs) <laughs> was she a spokesperson for Mrs. Mrs. Butterworth? <laughs> this is, this, this is Mrs. Her. Butterworth herself. She's the one. Yeah, Mrs. Butterworth, the criminalist, was finally able to test the sample. It came back with no matches in the CODIS database, which, you know, is the database that everybody everybody knows. But it stands for Combined DNA Index System. I love CODIS. Thankful for CODIS. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. I heard CODIS. <laughs> This isn't on Thanksgiving, but we're thankful for Happy Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Christmas. I mean, Christmas. <laughs> Merry Chrysler. <laughs> That's my favorite one. Oh, the test did reveal that the biter and Sherry's murderer was, in fact, female. This means that the burglary theory that had guided the investigation for nearly 20 years now was completely wrong. Several years later, waiting again, Butterworth claimed that she had not had proper access to the case files like she usually does during the cold case DNA testings. When she finally got her hands on it, Butterworth discovered that there was a report of a third-party female who had allegedly harassed Sherry at her job and apartment not too long before the murder. Butterworth asked the detective supervising her if the female had been investigated, and the detective responded with, quote, Oh, you mean the LAPD detective? He went on to explain that the woman, who was now a decorated detective in the department, was a former girlfriend of John Rutten, but that she was, quote, not a part of this. Yeah. Okay. She wasn't a part of it. That's why we're mentioning her. Mm -hmm. I just want to let you know she had nothing to do with it. (laughs) The detective insisted that it had been a robbery gone wrong, like they always thought, and refused to hear anything else on the case. In fact, no other detective would take Sherry's case, so the evidence went back into the files and fell cold again. But don't worry, you guys. This time, it wasn't for that long. Hey. In 2009, crime in Los Angeles had slowed down quite a bit from the havoc of the 1990s and 80s, and the detectives had time to look further into some of the department's cold cases. At the Van Nuys Police Department, Jim Nuttle and Pete Barba, these guys get hero bells, began reviewing Sherry Rasmussen's file, and after learning that the DNA from the scene pointed to a female suspect, they began treating it as a murder. I'm sorry, wait. They weren't always treating it as a murder. They thought that... No. They not like an intended murder. Like yeah. a burglary gone wrong was what they were always And they were always it. looking for But that's male. still a murder. Like she was still murdered. No, yeah. But they weren't... They didn't think that somebody was after her. Yeah. Okay, they They suck. just thought that it was like out of nowhere. Yeah, they what just they thought call? these guys wanted because stereo equipment, do, then they murdered do, this woman and left behind the stereo equipment. All I do is research true crime and talk about it on this lovely podcast that we have, and I knew that it was <laughs> not a burglary gone wrong, so these people suck. Yeah, well, this is the, the LAPD. It started in the 1980s Lapinda. LAPD, and they've only gotten, like, kind of better. better. Yeah. Think about I that. still think it could have been the husband. <laughs> These two new detectives believe that the burglary had been staged to deliberately throw off detectives, especially since certain aspects of the crime were not consistent with a typical robbery. Yeah, like the marriage. What is it called? Yeah. Certificate? The marriage like, license. That's yeah. so sketchy to me. And the fact that most of their valuables, including her jewelry that had just been scattered, was left behind. Yeah. 
more telling was the fact that the stereo equipment the police found downstairs were stacked on top of a VCR. The evidence had suggested that the struggle between Rasmussen and the intruder began upstairs and then continued down into the newlywed couple's living room. If there had been a burglar collecting the equipment, it would have fallen down the stairs during the struggle or scattered around the floor. So it wouldn't have been stacked up neatly at the top of the stairs. Also, okay, so if if it happened upstairs don't you think the burglar would have entered and gone for whatever was downstairs first so if she was upstairs he would have at least gotten some stuff like from the downstairs out yeah so i don't know why a burglar would be heading upstairs with a full arm full of stuff but like and then like gently put it down when he saw someone like yeah he just gently (laughs) put it down when he saw the person that that's it's staged it's staged that's was the husband their first point but the forensics supported this too. On the record player, which was at the top of the stereo equipment stack, there was a thumb-shaped blood stain. So there was a print. No, which means that the intruder was wearing gloves. The blood was Sherry's though, which also means that she was killed before any of the equipment was stacked. So no burglar would stick around to do that, but a killer would to make it look like a burglar. I just got chills. Mm. You're welcome. So finally, the most telling piece of evidence from the case for these new detectives was the gunshots themselves. They were fired from point blank range, which indicated, just like the bite mark, that this was a personal attack. Right. I should be a detective. So after reevaluating the original evidence, detectives formulated a new theory of what happened to Sherry. They theorized that the attacker entered the apartment and fired two shots at Sherry, missing her, but shattering a sliding door window on the second floor. Sherry then tried to escape, running down the stairs in an attempt to get to the front door. Unfortunately, the intruder followed her and a struggle ensued in which Sherry managed to get her attacker into a headlock. And that's when she sustained the bite mark from the intruder and released her grip. The struggle ended when the attacker hit Sherry over the head with a vase and then, standing over her, fired three shots into her chest. Desperate for any new leads on this now 23-year-old case, the detectives reached out to the one man that might be able to point them in the direction of the right female suspect, John Rutten. Rutten told the police about a girl he was seeing before his engagement to Sherry by the name of Stephanie. John met Stephanie while the two were studying at UCLA. They lived in the same residence hall together and both were passionate athletes. Stephanie would play pranks on him by stealing his clothes when he went in the shower or taking photos of him naked while he slept. That's not a prank. It is. It's harassment. It's not a prank. I'm going to pull a prank on you and and take pictures of you Sexually assault you and make you feel very dirty about yourself. That's not okay at all. Don't do that. Don't be a dick. Yeah. So eventually, though. I'm sorry, though. You said he dated her. Oh, yeah. No, it worked. (laughs) It worked. It turned into a sexual relationship, right. which continued intermittently until well after they both had graduated. John never considered the relationship between them anything more than, quote, necking and fooling around. But Stephanie saw it as much more than that. So Stephanie threw John a surprise party for his 25th birthday, completely unaware that John had been dating other women and was now in a serious relationship with Sherry Rasmussen. When she learned of John's love for another woman and then that they were engaged, Stephanie was distraught. She wrote in her journal, quote, I really don't feel like working. I found out that John is getting married. So spiraling into a depression, Stephanie actually called John to come over. And can you guess what happened? Did he come over? They had sex. He said, 
to give her closure. I'm what doing air fuck? quotes. That's Don't do that. No. Works. Yeah. No. It's just not. And she didn't get it. She just went back to her roommate and vented about her unending love for John. So when the investigators <laughs> told John that they needed to contact Stephanie and get her in for an interview, he told them that she was still a detective with the LAPD. Oof. And unbeknownst to them, she's also the woman that Sherry's father, Nels, begged the police to investigate 22 years earlier. Oh, my God. That's so sad. Mm-hmm. I hate people. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Bye. Stephanie Lazarus continued to pine after John Rutten, despite the fact that he was engaged to marry another woman. Get a life. She Am once right? showed up at the couple's apartment, dressed in flattering workout attire and holding her skis. Stephanie asked John to wax them for her, and despite Sherry's objections, he obliged. Sherry thought this was a little strange and pressed John on whether or not his relationship with Stephanie was really over. He assured her that it was. When Lazarus returned to pick up her skis, it was just Sherry at the house, and when she opened the door, she found Stephanie in full LAPD uniform with a gun on her hip. Yeah, she was terrified. And the visits didn't end there. According to Nels, Stephanie also showed up at the hospital where Sherry worked to tell her that things were not over between her and John. Stephanie reportedly said, quote, if I can't have John, no one else will. Shortly before her murder, Sherry confided in her father that she feared that Stephanie was stalking her on the street. In 1986, LAPD officers were issued a 38 caliber handgun as their backup. Do you remember the murder weapon? It was a th- 38 I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm assuming it was the same one. It was. Oh, my God. Wow. After doing some digging, lead investigators discovered that Lazarus was also issued one of these backups, but had interestingly reported it missing just 13 days after Sherry's murder. Without the actual weapon, detectives still didn't have enough concrete evidence to move on in prosecuting their fellow officer. They theorized that it's probably at the bottom of the ocean. They had to be completely covert about this operation since they didn't want anyone in the department to let on that they were investigating an LAPD detective. Lazarus had now risen through the ranks and was working art theft cases. She was up there in the ranks, but she was also right down the hall from the two detectives investigating her, which was kind of awkward. They never used her name. Instead, they just called her number five whenever they talked about her. So now that they had their prime suspect, they had to go get some concrete evidence, meaning her DNA. This was a very secret operation. So they followed Stephanie to a fast food place where she got a soda with her lunch. And when she threw away the cup and straw, an officer retrieved it from the trash. Bam, straws. Bad for DNA evidence and turtles. That was a good plug for the environment. It was sent to the lab for a full DNA test. And when compared to the swab from Sherry's bite mark, it was a perfect match. Wow. Wow. Yeah, who would have guessed? Really? So in an effort to catch Stephanie off guard to question her about her relationship with both John and Sherry, they devised another covert operation called the Art Thief. The two lead detectives approached Lazarus while she was eating her lunch and told her that there was a suspect in the jail division that has some information that she might want to hear about an art theft. Lazarus said that she would help and follow them down to the basement or county jail where she would have to lock up her gun before entering the interrogation room. Once they had her in the room, detectives Greg Stern and Dan Yaramillo, Yaramillo? Yeah, it's probably that. (laughs) Anyway, they began questioning her about the murder she thought she had gotten away with. 
Lazarus was caught completely off guard and soon realized that she was their prime suspect. She claimed to recall very little due to the two decades that had passed. But little by little, the detectives started to get little acknowledgments of her visits and the involvement with John and Sherry. During this questioning, a separate team of officers searched her house and found several pictures of John hidden inside that journal. The journal contained many entries, like the one I read earlier, detailing her distressed state of mind around the time of the murder. The detectives then told her that it was possible they might have DNA from the crime scene and asked her for a sample of her DNA, to which she stated that she would have to contact a lawyer. Of course, they already had it, but they were holding on to their trump card. Lazarus then stood up and exited the interrogation room and was immediately placed under arrest for the murder of Sherry Rasmussen. Nels and his wife, who had suffered for 20 years, finally saw some light at the end of the tunnel. Was the father still alive? Yeah. he. <laughs> when they called him, he hadn't expected to hear from them ever again in his life. That's He'd so just amazing. I'm so happy for that. Yeah. They gave me chills. So despite being a pretty clear murderer, the LAPD allowed Lazarus to retire early upon her arrest. She was held in the L.A. County Jail for six months before finally receiving a bail hearing. In a surprise to both Lazarus and the still grieving Rasmussen family, Judge Robert J. Perry set the bail at $10 million, which was well above what the defense had suggested and more than twice what prosecutors had proposed. At her trial in 2012, Lazarus pleaded not guilty. Oh, fuck. (laughs) The prosecutors argued that her motive for the murder was pure jealousy. Lead prosecutor Paul Nunez told the court that Lazarus's grief over losing John to another woman combined with her police training created, quote, the perfect cocktail for murder. Speaking of the perfect cocktail for murder. (laughs) Take that shot. (laughs) Nunez told the jury, quote, the ring on Sherry's finger was supposed to be hers. It was ripped from her. Oh, my God. What a like get a life. So despite her defense and her plea of not guilty, they had the DNA from the bite mark on Sherry's arm. Because she took a DNA test and turns out she's 100 percent. It turned out in March of 2012, Stephanie Lazarus was convicted of first degree murder. She has since appealed. And in 2015, the Supreme Court reportedly declined her defense lawyer's request to review the case. A fucking good. The one comforting thing to note about this case is that if she had been caught in 1986, she might have gotten away with it because there was no hard evidence at the time to tie her to the case. So even though it took 26 years, it was probably necessary to get the right justice for Sherry Rasmussen. I love that journey for her. So like Tierney said so much through this case, we normally look at the husband first. But John Rutten was not at all involved in the murder of his wife, Sherry Rasmussen. Has he put any statement out about this? Well, he attended the trial and gave a victim impact statement, which actually brought me to tears. So he was crying. He said, the fact that Sherry's death occurred because she met and married me brings me to my knees. I do not know and fear I will never know how to cope with this appalling fact. I have resigned myself to praying for some measure of peace and trying to endure the daydreams about a world where Sherry is still with us. So Nels and his wife finally got the justice that they waited over two decades for, but life for them will never be the same. Nels has said, quote, I'm learning every day how to deal with this, and I still don't have all the answers. It's like a dog that's lost a leg. They get by, but they're forever changed. (laughs) 
also follow us on Instagram if you want to. You don't have to. I you guess. should though. You should because we post uh, pictures of the people from the crimes. We post memes. We post most importantly our drink recipes. Usually the night before, sometimes the day of the episode that we post, so you can get the ingredients and drink with us as we go through our our episodes. Um, if you decide to recreate any of our drinks, please tag us on Instagram. We would love to see them. Uh, you can go to our website for our sources and other material on our cases at deadrunkcrime.home.blog. I think we have one subscriber there. We have like one follower, and his name is Sci-Fi Buddha. <laughs> Shout out he Sci-Fi likes Buddha. Everything. I he love likes him. everything. We love, love you, Sci-Fi it. Buddha. Love it, Buddha. Uh, if you have any case suggestions for us or anything else that you just really feel like you need to email to us, you could do that to deaddrunkpod at gmail.com. And as always, our merch will be linked in our show notes as well. I don't know what the deal is this week, but there might be one. So you can get our logo on shirts and sweatshirts and mason jars and hats and bags and a lot of other cool things. Okay, what's our caboose? Well, I don't know if this is really a caboose, but it, it will be. Um, because I just, You're just like I don't know if this is happening, <laughs> but it's fucking happening. Okay, because I don't think we've talked about this on the podcast yet. Okay, did you see the latest break in the Adnan Syed case? I did. No, I haven't. I didn't. I send you it. No. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Okay. I don't read things. Um. Though. Yeah. Fuck he, you. Uh, they uh, they like sent everything to the Supreme Court and they didn't even look at his appeal. <gasps> so. What's so Rabia has said that they have other options and they they kind of said like sending it to the Supreme Court was a technicality so that they could send it other places like other well like you have to send court. it there first yeah I guess but it's kind of like they wouldn't even like fucking which read it. I think can I just say something what else do really they have quick about plate? this case exactly what I'm thinking but I'm also thinking this might like I'm I know it sounds crazy and I know it sounds conspiracy theory e but um it kind of sounds like it it goes up. I don't know if it goes all the way up, but like it goes up in there where people just don't give a fuck about it. Cause there are so many people that give a fuck about it. There's people writing in all the time to the Supreme court right now. And there's no reason that they shouldn't even just look at it. That's so sketchy to me. Cause it's not like people like us aren't look, like writing into it. There are thousands upon thousands of people. I feel like Anand is my friend and I feel like I need him out of jail now. Yeah. I have a shirt that says, <laughs> hashtag free and non that's fair i respect I it i should find it somewhere in my laundry pile i think that later on today i'm gonna cry over your case uh shelby but yeah. it's gonna take a minute to set in and then yeah. you're gonna go home and like yeah really cry i really think so and it's gonna yeah. be sad shelby's cases always make me sad they no. because they're so good like yeah, not because i hate them she's really good Shelby's at, like, so bad i'm so, so bad at natural <laughs> storytelling ability can i just say you one know. thing about shelby's I cases i think stephen peter moore is still my favorite one mm-hmm. oh so. what I a good one <laughs> i listened to it again in my car the other day and still had chills the whole time oh i love that we Sarah, you're, you're out there i love you <laughs> i feel like shelby's cases are really hard because tierney and i get fucked up because we can't deal with our emotions correctly so like <laughs> <laughs> so like during it we're just like yeah fun f- fresh new but like in reality we're just like oh my god you guys like this really th- interested in this one and we're like shut up i'm paying attention yeah because <laughs> i was interested Sh- fuck I you i'm leaving you. I- okay bye mom bye